Afroverdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Afro Verdict, the podcast that brings you insightful discussions on issues affecting the African continent as well as African opinions on events around the world. I'm your host Victor Anakin and today's episode is focused on a recent article written by President Joe Biden in the Washington Post about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And in this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Oscar van Heerden, a political scientist from South Africa, about the absurdity of Biden's peace. President Biden's article, published on November the 18th, 2023 in the Washington Post, has sparked quite some controversy and criticism from various quarters. In it, Biden calls for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, while also accusing Hamas of using civilians as human shields and firing rockets from densely populated areas. And in our conversation, Dr. Van Heerden will share his views on Biden's written opinion and we'll also discuss the broader implications of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for the region and the world. And of course, of course, how could we go without the African continent? In addition, we'll also be exploring a recent development in South Africa's relationship with Israel. Evidently, I'm talking about the fact that the South African parliament has voted in favor of closing its embassy in Israel and cutting diplomatic ties with the country in the Middle East. Now, this decision has been met with mixed reactions and we'll be discussing the reasons behind it and its potential impact on the region. So join us as we delve into these issues and more on this episode of Afro Verdict. Thank you for joining us and listening and I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's go. Dr. Van Heerden, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to have you with me once again. So um, let's start with your reaction after reading this article written by President Joe Biden. What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? Yeah, what's your take on this piece? Yeah, when when I when I saw it, um, the first thing that came to mind was this is necessary because the United States, uh, like Israel, is beginning to lose the the PR war. There is massive dissent in America, in the streets of America, um, calling for a ceasefire calling for the murder and the killings to stop in Gaza. Similarly, there are dissent within the Democratic Party, which is Biden's party. Um, And now we see that there are employees of the State Department who has also penned their voice um, and said that uh, this is unacceptable um, and they don't agree with this uh, position of the Biden administration. So I think all around, the Biden administration is feeling the pressure to change their current stance, which is to give Israel a blank check to do whatever it wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's more of a, like, like you said, since losing the PR war is just a, a, a PR move to try and gain some sort of, uh, some sort of support. It's the same with, with, with Israel and why Israel have now been forced to to agree to some form of humanitarian assist, assistance. You know, it's not out of the kindness of their hearts. They are doing it because they were beginning to observe that they are losing the PR war, that the whole world is turning against it. And that's why. And I think with Biden, it's a similar situation where um, what they are spinning 
to the international community and to their own citizens is simply not gelling. Yeah, absolutely so. In the article, Biden states that, I quote, our goal should be to end the war forever, close quote. However, the U.S. continues to supply Israel with weapons. How do you reconcile this clear contradiction in Biden's statement? No, when you go through the article, it's 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 full of the sort of dualism. Um, on the one hand, saying what needs to be said, but on the other hand, acting in completely in contradiction. So, uh, you know, talking about finding uh, ending this war, etc., when you have deployed uh, carrier battleships into the Mediterranean to support Israel. Um, putting boots on the ground through special forces, Delta forces, which is assisting the Israeli army uh, on the ground, all, uh, and of course, making um, a package available worth billions of military assistance in the form of weapons and so forth. All of this to the Israeli state, and then you release a statement saying that we must end the war. Uh, it's simply a joke. Yeah, that is literally what I thought when I was reading it, that this, uh, this should be a comedian's stand-up, honestly. The American president claims that Putin and Hamas hope to undermine regional stability and integration and capitalize on the resulting turmoil. Don't you think the U.S. attributes to others exactly what it is doing itself? They've created sort of a crisis in Ukraine by facilitating the coup in back in 2014, and now they are giving the green light... Like you said, to all Israeli actions, they're given a, a blank check. Well, in this case, like you said, supplying weapons and you know deploying those ships to the Mediterranean. Yeah, those state that statement is devoid of context, which is very convenient for both the Biden administration, for Western leaders, as well as for the Israeli right wing government. Uh, they don't want to talk about the context. You know, October seven did not happen in a vacuum as so eloquently put by the Secretary-General of the United Nations. October 7 was perpetrated by Hamas as a resistance movement in response to a settler-occupier government, which is Israel. Now, that doesn't mean that we are justifying what Hamas did on the day. But the truth of the matter is, that is not when this war, this conflict began between Israel and uh, Hamas or between Israel and Palestinians. So the context is, is very, very important. No one wants to talk about it because that begins to, that means that you must confront the, the, the uncomfortable truths. Similarly, with the Ukraine thing, Biden, uh, President Biden can't want to tell us about uh, the evils of Putin when in fact it is his government and his central intelligence agency that was actively playing a part in the coup that took place in the Ukraine that then facilitated the training of Ukrainian soldiers, getting them ready, we don't know for what, uh, NATO training them, equipping them, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, and now engaging in a proxy war against Russia to undermine Russia. Um, and the Europeans are complicit in all of this, both in Ukraine as well as in Israel. Definitely. Look, President Biden talks in this article about the two-state solution, creating two states. But at the same time, 
He encourages the expulsion of Palestinians. He implicitly encourages genocide. So what kind of two-state solution can we be talking about then? This hits at the very heart of the whole matter. You know, when you when you say that you support Israel unequivocally, that you've got Israel's back, that there are no red lines, what you're in effect saying is that it's okay that Israel is violating international law. It's okay that Israel is violating humanitarian law. It's okay that Israel is committing war crimes. And by extension, it's okay if the plan is to expel Palestinians from Gaza into the Sinai uh, desert of Egypt. Um, This is really at the heart of it, that the values and all that that the United States stand for in terms of democracy, in terms of dignity and equal rights, human rights, all of that is a farce when it comes to the plight of the Palestinians. Uh, The Biden administration simply don't want to admit it, but they are in collusion with Israel to effect ethnic cleansing and genocide against the Palestinians. Precisely. And also, you know, this example, what has been happening in the uh, United Nations, like in the article, Biden writes that, quote, every innocent Palestinian life lost is a tragedy, close quote. But the United States have rejected, for example, just one example, they've rejected the UN resolution on a humanitarian truce. What is Biden trying to achieve by saying one thing, but not supporting his words with actions on international arena? Biden is hoping, the same as Netanyahu, is hoping that the electorate will be, will continue to be uh, stupid, will continue not asking critical questions, will take things at face value, because perception is everything in politics these days. Um, And I think that uh, Biden, as well as the Israeli right-wing government, is trying to spin this thing and hoping that their own citizens are going to fall for it. But unfortunately, in this new age, you see, that tactic used to work in the early 90s when Powell came and showed us pictures uh, of movements of weapons of mass destruction, came with a little vial of white powder, uh, and, and you could bamboozle and you could lie and prop, and come with propaganda to convince the electorate. And indeed, people were convinced. These days, that is no longer the case. We have people all over in Gaza, in the West Bank, all over the Middle East and in America that have smartphones that can record things no matter how Western media tries to spin it, no matter how Biden tries to spin it. And so instead of wanting to acknowledge that the death toll is now going well into 12,000, they want to now question the numbers. They want to say, no, but these are health. This is a health ministry that is governed by Hamas. Um, and so they must be lying about, about the death. They, they, they have such disrespect for Palestinian life, that even in death, they mock the Palestinians. And, you know, that said, all right, Biden notes that the United States claims to continue to lead the world. The Americans were indeed the sole leaders for a long time after the collapse of the Soviet Union. But how would you assess their achievements in the status of a sole world leader? Have they then managed 
to solve any of the world's problems as the global leader they call themselves, to resolve the situation that we have now in the Middle East, for example? No, they haven't resolved anything. If anything, they've made things worse. I don't know whether it is a sign of a waning empire. I don't know if it is indicative of an, a, a, an empire that is beginning to crumble. But it is clear to me that the United States over the last few years have not been providing leadership in the world. If anything, it has made the world a more dangerous place. Um, it has had a war with starting as far back as Iraq. And then we go to Afghanistan. And then we talk of Syria and Libya. That's just in the Middle East. They have been saber-rattling, building up uh, military bases in the Far East, in the Philippines and elsewhere, to all in the name of wanting to make sure that China doesn't become a threat. Then they pick a fight with Russia in this proxy war uh, between Russia and Ukraine with the involvement of NATO. And so it seems to me what has happened is that there has been no leadership from the United States. In fact, there has been a very realist approach to global affairs, which is that we are the powerful, we have the biggest stick, and we will hit anyone and everyone into submission. And unfortunately, the global south, those countries that are in BRICS, and many others are beginning to say, this is unfortunately not how the world is going to work. We live in a multipolar world uh, where there is multilateral institutions and the hegemony of the United States, unfortunately, is no longer what it used to be, especially when we see that they themselves now, having been the beacon of Western democracy, is violating the very rules that underpin such democracy, which is the dignity, the human rights, the right to life, etc., all being violated, both in Ukraine and in Gaza. It's very obvious that this article, once again, like you said, it's full of contradictions. And these contradictions, they are quite obvious to anyone who compares the U.S. policy in different parts of the world to what the article says. You said that this article is aimed in, in hopes of keeping the electorate stupid. What is this text intended for then? Is this article then for internal use only? Is the audience simply in the U.S. on the eve of elections in the country? Is this article intended to achieve something else overseas? And in general, how can then countries continue to rely on a state that uses these terrible circumstances of armed conflicts globally where thousands of people are dying uh, and they're using these uh, events uh, to their own advantage? Mm. What, what this text is intending to do is speak to both the American citizens, but also to the international community. When you, when the, the, the Biden administration and President Biden himself is trying to reestablish its moral authority in the world, they are the good guys. They only do good. And because of the actions of their closest ally in the world, Israel, and the carte blanche that they gave Israel. You see, when you, when you say publicly that we back Israel, that uh, we've got its back, that there's no red lines, all those, those things, you are in effect saying to Israel, you can do what you want. And now that Israel is clearly 
overreaching, breaking international law, committing war crimes. It is difficult for the Biden administration to come out publicly and say we need to rein in the Israelis because that would be an admission that they have failed and that their approach to Israel has been wrong. And so instead of doing that, which it should do, it then releases this statement to want to try and speak with a forked tongue that they still have some moral authority, that they feel for the deaths of the Palestinians, that we must have a two-state solution, that I'm doing everything in my power for humanitarian assistance to come into Gaza and so on. So on the one hand, you provide the bombs, you provide the equipment that is killing tens of thousands of people. On the other hand, you want to be seen as the savior that has now negotiated and brokered humanitarian aid to come in. And unfortunately, the world is not buying it. So I think that this article is a futile exercise. The the world has already seen what the United States is about. Israel has has the United States completely in its pocket. It has worked at making sure that the United States will do what it wants it to do for a long time. And we see the, the fruits of their labor now, where unfortunately, even when a congresswoman says that what is happening in Palestine is unacceptable and is war crimes, they try and silence her. In the UK, they want to ban slogans such as, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. All under disguise that somehow this is all very anti-Semitic, that the global South is anti-Semitic. But I think it needs, the, 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 the Europeans, the West, needs to be reminded that it was them who committed the most heinous crime against the the, the Jews in, in the form of the Holocaust. Um, and so it's this guilt, this guilt of the Europeans that is why they are supporting Israel in their heinous war crimes. For those of you that have just tuned in, I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and you're listening to the Afro Verdict podcast brought to you by Sputnik Africa. I'm here with Dr. Oscar van Heerden, a political scientist from South Africa, and we are busy discussing U.S. President Joe Biden's article that he wrote in the Washington Post in regards to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Dr. van Heerden put it excellently. The article is full of dualism, where Biden says one thing, But then the actions of the years, they simply don't correspond to what was said at all. On the 21st of November, a BRICS extraordinary joint meeting took place to discuss the crisis in the Middle East. And Russia's President Vladimir Putin made some interesting remarks, some of which were about the importance of establishing a long-term Palestinian-Israeli truce. And he also touched on BRICS involvement in the settlement of this conflict. Here's what Russia's president said in more detail. Dear Mr. Ramaphosa, dear colleagues, dear friends, we consider it very timely the initiative of the president of the SAR as the current chairman of BRICS together in urgent session of the summit to 
discuss the situation in the Gaza Strip, the death of thousands of people and the raging humanitarian catastrophe are causing profound anxiety and the death of the death of many children is terrible but watching children being operated without anesthetics causes very deep feelings of course this is the result of the united states desire to monopolize to monopolize peace efforts in the middle east and to block the efforts of the quartet and this only goes to show the counterproductiveness of single of monopolized attempts and sabotaging UN, UN efforts aimed at ensuring peaceful coexistence of the two states, Israel and Palestine. Because of this, more than one generation of Palestinians grow amid unfairness shown towards their state, while Israel, the Israeli people cannot fully guarantee the security of their state. Russia's position is consistent. We call for the international community to unite efforts aimed at de-escalating tension and searching for a political solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Key role in this, in this could be played by the states of BRICS. So it is especially important that our current session unites colleagues from the Middle East, who this year received an invitation to become full-scale BRICS members. I would like to use this occasion to note with respect to their efforts aimed at normalizing the situation, notably the, the Peace Summit in Egypt and the Arab Summit. All BRICS countries are on the same, on similar position concerning the need to find an urgent solution to the old Palestinian-Israeli problems. This was shown in the voting in the UN General Assembly and in the discussion of the UN Security Council resolution on the Middle East settlement that was taken for the first time in seven years. And while this resolution only calls for humanitarian pauses, not a full-scale ceasefire, the very fact that it has been ratified is a step in the right direction. Let me emphasize that such humanitarian pauses and, of course, a full-scale ceasefire are needed to continue efforts to liberate hostages and evacuate civilian population and international citizens from the Gaza Strip. Once again, I would like to express great gratitude to President Sisi and all our Egyptian colleagues for their help in solving lots of complex issues related to sending home Russian citizens who made it out of the conflict zone. We think it is very important to aspire to achieve a true long-term ceasefire and peace. I agree with my Brazilian counterpart. It's very important to prevent the dragging of other states into this conflict. It is very important to maintain the fragile interconfessional world. In this connection, we consider it very useful to continue discussing in BRICS further items related to the Russian-Israeli-Palestinian conflict. During the next year's Russia chairmanship in this union, we will initiate further contacts, including video conferencing contacts. And this format of emergency online sessions proposed by President Ramaphosa looks very promising, and not only in the Middle East settlement, but also in other topical issues of the global and regional agenda. Thank you.
Prof, back to you. You just heard President Putin say that Russia will establish contacts on the Israeli-Palestinian settlement during its upcoming chairmanship in BRICS. Do you think that BRICS could come up with a feasible solution as a, so to say, representative of the global south? Look, uh, two things I want to say in that regard. You know, there has been a period where I've been concerned about the deafening silence of BRICS. Uh, We saw South Africa for obvious reasons, having also struggled with apartheid um, being one of the first uh, voices to speak out. Then it was followed by Brazil. But uh, Russia and China and India has been awfully quiet. And I think that this is an opportunity for them to actually make a real difference in global affairs. The historic peace broker in this conflict of Israel and Palestine has been the United States. And I think we can safely conclude that they have dismally failed in that uh, role. Um, It is quite patently clear that they side with Israel at every turn um, and that they are not serious about finding a solution such as a two-state solution. Otherwise, it would have happened by now. It would have happened by now. Um, And so I think that there is need for new players, new great powers need to come into the equation. Um, China has made enormous strides in finding and and resolving old age tension that was between between, um, uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia. Um, And I think that uh, this is an opportunity for them to find a lasting solution. Uh, to this old age conflict in the Middle East. All right, Prof, thanks. I'm sure you've heard that the South African parliament has voted in favor of closing its embassy in Israel and cutting diplomatic ties with the country. Do you think the government will support this decision? Or is the threat of severing diplomatic relations more of a means of pressuring Israel to stop its military offense? I think that uh, the government is going to support the decision uh, made by parliament. Um, Remember, it's not a permanent decision. It is indeed a decision temporarily to apply the necessary pressure on the state of Israel to agree to a ceasefire and the exchange of hostages. All right, now, if this decision is implemented by the government, how significant will this move be considering South Africa's history? This is a significant uh, move, never before, even though the solidarity with the Palestinians and the Palestinian Authority and the PLO has historically been very strong between the governing party, the ANC, and uh, itself. This is, however, a very significant and historic decision because for the first time, government is taking an active stand against the state of Israel. I'm very certain that you've heard Julius Malema calling for the removal of Israel-produced goods from the shelves of shops. How effective do you think are such steps? You know, during the apartheid uh, struggle of uh, South Africa, um, sanctions was indeed very important as a tool in pressurizing the South African regime to capitulate. And so, even though the call is coming from Julius Malema, this is one of the areas where South Africa and South African consumers have not been very good. Uh, and so, if indeed people want to stand with the Palestinian people, an effective tool uh, to apply pressure on the Israeli government is indeed to boycott uh, goods and services from the state of Israel. 
All right, my final question. Since the 1973 Doomsday War, South Africa has been one of the few countries on the continent whose cooperation with Israel has only increased because the rest of the African states decided to suspend their relations with Israel. If now it is South Africa that breaks off diplomatic relations, can we expect other African countries to follow its example? And what will this lead to in the long term? After the events of 1973, it took Tel Aviv many years and much effort to at least partially regain its position in Africa. I don't think, in as much as it is a significant decision, I don't think it is to the extent of what happened in the 70s. Um, And so, yes, certain African countries will be looking at South Africa keenly uh, as to this decision, but they might not necessarily follow suit. However, I think uh, as an African Union already, there has been significant calls for ceasefire uh, and for Israel to consider a pause for to allow humanitarian aid as well as to exchange hostages. So I do think that a lot of African countries are going to follow the example of South Africa in this regard. Dr. Oscar van Heerden, thank you for sharing your expertise and perspectives on these issues. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in, of course. Feel free to give this episode another go on popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, Afropods, as well as CastBox. For morning updates on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, check out the Sputnik Africa Telegram channel. You can also find short videos on the most interesting events concerning the African continent on our socials. For larger, in-detail articles, head over to our Sputnik Africa website. Once again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more updates on AfroVerdict with your host, Victor Anakin. And that's it. I bid everyone adieu, and I'll see you next time. AfroVerdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.